I'll be honest, that video kind of hit me a little bit right square in the head sometimes, more of a bullseye in where we're at today. Because, like I said, this week we are getting ready to approach Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving, to me, has been a holiday that I, I look forward to. For many years, I remember growing up and one of the things that we would always do was we would get up as kids, get dressed. We know that we were going to get picked up by my dad and we were going to go to my grandparents' house and I was going to eat probably about four giant bowls of dumplings. And my grandparents waited for my stomach to explode, but it somehow never did, praise God. And then all the turkey and everything and just passing out on their floor because of such indulgences of food. And over the course of my life, I remember how the holiday morphed. Because as we grew up and as we became married, we were started to get asked as my grandparents would get older what we would bring to the Thanksgiving table. And my wife and her brilliant idea said, we will bring the turkey. And I said, honey, what are you doing? But we, we brought the turkey every year, and then somehow it morphed to where I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning starting the turkey because my sister had informed me that she wanted me to do something that I never thought I was going to do, which was to run five miles every Thanksgiving morning. I had a thing called a turkey trot where I'd have to get up at 2, start cooking the turkey, get it out of the oven, get my running shoes on, and start running for three hours to go do this race with her and come home and get ready and go through the motions. I share that life experience with you is because there's a lot of things that we all experience, these, these memories that we hold on to, these, these moments that we treasure, that we often take for granted. I mean, we take for granted things like, oh, I can get into the car, and I can, I can go to church on Sunday, but this morning I don't want to because it just seems so begrudgingly, because I can just watch it online, which I'm thankful that we have the online ability. And we have that connection in the community, but it is vital that we don't lose heart for what we go through every single day of our lives. This week, I'll be honest, Sunday last week was phenomenal. I was ready. I told my wife I felt so great. And then Monday hit, and I woke up with a 103-degree fever, and I said, I am dying. And she looked at me and says, honey, what's wrong? And I said, I think you gave me whatever you got. Get away from me. But it was like my whole week became in disarray. But in this life's journey, I've learned to process differently than the way that I would have if I would have lived life, my life before I met Christ. And that's a, that's a struggle that we all have to encounter. But that being said, how does that relate to our text this week? And I love how God just seems like he's got the perfect timing and the perfect way as I, I, I go to study the scripture and he connects it and, and relates it to the here and now to become so relevant to where we're at if we would just allow him to. But before I get in there, I want to talk a little historical here. See, growing up, more historicalness of my life, no. I remember 
as a child where I would go around Thanksgiving time and we would get handed these, these brown paper bags and we were told to cut it up the whole front, cut holes into the sides of it, and somehow it was going to become some new fancy clothing. Do you remember any of those kind of memories? Am I just too old to not remember? Nobody knows that? See, see, they would make us do that, and then they'd make us make these little headdress with the little paper feather things, and they say, don't do anything with this, but you can color it, you can make it look more like, like the Indians looked like back in the time, because what you're going to do is you're going to wear that, and your parents are going to get proud, because they're going to watch you sing songs for the Thanksgiving play that we're going to do, and the songs, and I was like, oh, what am I getting myself into? Don't even get me started, Sister Amy, that today, if we call them Indians, it's, it's racially insensitive. And I don't mean it that way. That's just what we called them as I was growing up. But we know them as Native Americans today. But I remember the stories. How the, 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 the people, the pilgrims, got off onto a boat and they traveled across the ocean and they got here, and they had a little hardship. They couldn't get the food to grow. And then all of a sudden, the Native Americans, they came over, and they, they showed them things, and they helped give them food. And they celebrated this thing called Thanksgiving to show their thanks for what God was providing. And I, I, I would love to say that's where the story was at. But in the historical references to everything we know about this event, we know that the pilgrims were living in England and they were kind of a little disheveled with what was going on, how, how the king was taking the church and how he was, he was trying to lead them. But they were like, no, the king is not the authority. It's, it's the scriptures that we have that is our authority in our lives that we want to follow after. So that's why they said, you know what, I feel that God is saying it's time for us to try something new. And so 102 people crammed into this little bitty boat called the Mayflower and headed off east, or west, into a place that they did not know. But the funny part is the Mayflower, I mean, if you think about it, you think of a boat of, like, this whole passenger cruise line coming over with some pretty sails and all that stuff. But the historical reference is the Mayflower was never meant for passengers. It was a ship designed for cargo, for lumber, for wine, for whatever they could haul on it. And the fact that they would cram 102 individuals onto this vessel and going to a place that they had no certainty of anything, it would be quick for them to become discouraged, to become questioning what their life's choices were at that moment. See, they were stuck on the boat for 62 days. Could you imagine us all being put into maybe about four pews here, and we're all supposed to live in that little four pews for 62 days? What would happen? Uh, chaos. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I live in a house with my wife and five daughters, and we have pretty good size square footage in our house, and yet it's still chaos. 
There are days in my life where I'm looking at my kids going, you know the Bible says that you're supposed to honor your parents, otherwise you're not going to have a long life. And I said, you do realize that long life means I'm not going to take you out of it too quick. At least somebody gets my reference. If you got kids, if you've ever had kids, you'll know the reference. They push your buttons, and it's easy. But could you imagine being stuck on a boat with everybody else around you that's not your kid pushing your buttons? Let alone there was this one pregnant lady that was on the boat with them, and she gave birth in the middle of the ocean, and they called him Oceanus. Yeah, great name, Oceanus. But they traveled 62 days holding on to the hope that there was something that was greater was going to come through their life. And according to the written manuals of the guy that ran the community, William Bradford, on November 6, 1620, he writes this. uh, Being thus arrived in the good harbor and brought safe to land, They fell on their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over this vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and the miseries thereof. You see, it's easy for us to remember the good things when we get to the the promise of what we're going through. But it's hard for us to remember God's goodness in in the dark and the hard times. It's hard to remember when you're struggling to have food on the table how good God is. But better yet, it's struggling to remember how good God is when you have plenty. It's it's, it's a struggle to remember when you're dealing with illness all the time, thinking, God, why don't you just take me out right here, right now? But then you have good life, and you're like, man, my life is just so blah. God, just take me out. You see, what I'm trying to get at is, is Thanksgiving is a season that was set aside for a time to remember the good things that God has blessed us with. To put our, ourselves into the proper perspective of, of what God is trying to waking up within us, our, 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 our true intentionality of why we're here. This morning we sang songs, and I love that we all understood that our, our whole being this morning was to exalt God. To show him everything that we have. But there's far greater purposes than just coming into a church service with worship that's only in song. You see, song is powerful. Songs bring emotions. Songs connect us in a way to God that we think is the only way. But if it's only tied to emotion, then we become very misguided in our hopes and our dreams. You see, I have lived this life long enough in my 41 years to know that there is greater on the other side. Because we all live for the hopes of the other side. Some of us live for the other sides of, oh, when I get, when I get old enough, I'm going to get married and then I'm going to go have kids. Some of us are in the season of of the other side where we're just like, okay, I got the kids. I just got to get them across that graduation uh, where they get the the, the diploma and and then they're all off and then they can do it and then I can just breathe. There are some in this room 
that have already went through that, and they're just like, okay, I'm just going to live my life comfortably. I'm just going to try to make ends meet. I want to go see the world. That's my next place that I want to go. But can I attest to this? Your next life that you should be holding on to is not the things of this world, but to the heavens. We should be focusing our, our, our whole drive and our whole pursuit not on the things that we can achieve on this side of heaven, but on the things that God is calling us to go forth into with the hope and the reassurance that, that when we get to the finish line of this life, that there's something waiting on the other side. You see, what we want to really hold on to is to to get to to the gates of heaven and we start looking at Jesus and he says things like what Matthew 25, 21 says. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but one thing I've seen missing in the churches is the people's hunger and desire for that one and only phrase to be spoken over their life. Because I've met people that have become so callous to this this whole spiritual pursuit. They just want to hear God say, God, I just want to hear you say, well, you made a lot of money on that side. You're famous. Let's go ahead and put you on in here. And I struggle with it because I'm like, you don't realize Scripture is completely contrary to that same belief. You got other people that are like, oh, I just want to hear God say, well, you raised them kids good. Okay, you can come on in. You're missing the mark. You're missing the whole premise of what God is trying to waken up within the, the whole body of believers. Because what we have to really do is to put on this understanding that we're running a race, all of us. And we have to have that heart like what Paul had where he's looking to the goal line and he says, I want to get to the end of this race and know that there's a crown of righteousness waiting But you know, we struggle. We struggle every single day. It's like Monday through Friday for me. I know the plan that I have for me. I know that I have to get up. I have to get my kids ready. I have to have make sure that they have everything that they have to have ready to go by 8.45 or 7.45 so that they can be on the school premises before the bell rings. But can I tell you, it is not an easy task to get everybody ready. I have to get all five kids ready. I have to have them dressed. I have to have them have socks and shoes on. I have to make sure they have coats, let alone I have to make sure that they have their eyeglasses. Praise God when they get them all back. But then I have to also make sure that their homework's done. I have to make sure that it's in their backpacks. I have to make sure they have lunch in their their, their lunch boxes. I have to make sure that they all get into the car. Because let me tell you, I've left the house a couple times and realized, oh, I forgot a kid. I have to remember to make sure that they have their ADHD medicines or their anti-seizure medicines and all these different things. And every single morning, it seems like 7.45 comes and goes. And it's all I can do not to lose my ever-living... Because I'm looking at the kids going, you do realize, it's time, we've got to get out of the door. We've got to be there because you're going to be late. Or better yet... I have my oldest one who's got the, the clock that knows, oh, I can't go see my friends if we don't leave at this certain time. And, and then she starts yelling at the sisters, and I'm like, ah! 
And it's all I can do not to forget the reason I get going. The reason why I pursue after this life and this thing that I'm doing, trying to raise my kids up in the proper context and the proper hope that they have. But I get focused on the disarray sometimes and I get left and messed up. And it leaves me like that young man that was sitting there waking up every single morning saying, God, or going to bed, God, remind me what I'm supposed to be thankful for. Because I am lonely and I'm a mess. You ever had that thought? Where you go to bed and you're like, God, this day is just a no good, rotten day. What am I supposed to be thankful for for this day? And it isn't it wonderful when he reminds you that you can be thankful for the littlest things and it puts things in the proper perspective of how you can get through this life. See, that's where the key text of this morning kind of comes into. Because in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, it kind of brings a reminder to where we can stand every single day. When he opens it up and he says, Be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmers wait for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is at the door, and he's standing. You see, those words right there matter so much because if we don't take the context of what they're saying, then we lose the price. Because what James is trying to remind you first and foremost is, is that we have to learn to be patient. That is not an easy phrase. And like I've said it time and time in this church, I remember going to my grandparents' church that they begged me and bribed me with McDonald's to take me to. And I'm thankful for every single day. Except for this one plaque on the wall that said, patience is a virtue. Whoever made that plaque, I don't know where they're at right now, but I'm sure people are stewing over them every single day. But it was a powerful reminder. Because the patience that we have for today brings hope for tomorrow. You see, what I can remember is, is that the scripture is trying to tell us that we're supposed to be patient and wait for the Lord's coming. Every single day we wake up and we wait. And we ask the questions. Am I going to hear the trumpet of the Lord this morning? Am I going to get raptured up into the twinkling of an, with a twinkling of an eye and to go and get to worship God and not have to deal with the tribulations on this world? And if I'm misguided in my own ideas, am I waiting for the Lord to come where I get to see and experience the true unfolding of, of the prophecies where he's going to come down and have rain on this world? You see, what I'm holding on to is the fact that every single day that I have breath in my lungs, I'm called to be patient. And hold on a little longer, hold on a little deeper, hold on a little stronger to the hope that I have that is coming still. And we can't get discouraged. I mean, if you think about it, look at the disciples. 
They witnessed Christ go to the cross. They mourned and wept. They said, oh, my Jesus is dead. But then on the third day, they got reports. Jesus is alive. They got reports. Jesus is, is no longer there. The tomb is empty. And they started running for him. And they're just like, there's no way. What happened to his body? Where is it? And then they encountered him for 40 days on this world. And they, he ministered to them, and he talked with them, and he showed them the kingdom of heaven was still to come. And they were like, okay, when is it going to happen? And he says, i got to go up to heaven first, but I'll come back. So be ready. They're like, okay, Jesus is coming back. And they lived their life without hesitation, with that knowledge. Even through their deaths, they lived that life. Even through the generations that came up after them, they lived their life in full pursuit of God with a patience of knowing that, that we don't know the time or the hour. We know the season and it keeps coming back and forth and we can have a glimmer that we're like, okay, it looks like it's about ready to happen. But in that excitement, we can lose our focus and lose the patience that, that, that allows us to become so enduring with the truth that, that we have this thankfulness in us that if he has already done the finishing work on the cross, we know he's going to finish the work and allow this, this sinful nature of this world to not rule us any longer. But we have to hold on. We have to keep going. We have to, to keep reasoning within our minds these scriptures that we constantly would hear, like Lamentations 3 and 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. We're called to wait because he's good. We're called to seek him because he is so awesome and so on time and it's every effort. But we get discouraged. And then we hear scriptures like 30, Psalms 37 and 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Those scriptures don't bring a lot of joy into us. Outside of it, it's just a constant reminder that the church needs to be ready. Better yet, Ecclesiastes 7 and 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. And the patient in the spirit is better than the proud in the spirit. See, what I'm trying to say is, we are waiting for the end times. We are waiting for that trumpet. We are waiting eagerly with the anticipation of what's going to happen. But it's about what we do right here, right now that matters. In the patience. Because what we have to remember is that when we're just being told to sit and wait, doesn't mean you just sit and wait. Lord knows if that would have happened, the population of the world would be completely smaller than what it is. But what we're seeing is, is the activeness of what the church is called to do in the patient waiting. And that's called to still be working out this life with the anticipation that he's coming but not with the full reassurance that he will come in our lifetime. And that's not something easy. That's why I struggled for many years coming up into the church, not knowing what was going to happen. When I kept hearing the messages, hey, get ready, because he's coming back tomorrow. Can I tell you, you get callous with that, Sister Amy. 
but it wasn't until God connected me with this reassurance that that tomorrow isn't what I live for. It's today. That's why we need to have our hearts established in the pursuit of Christ in all that we do. Only then can we see what Jesus is trying to, to waken us up with, what James is trying to do, and, and waking up this great faith that he's been listing off all through the five chapters of the book of James. He's listing off what faith is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to endure within each and every one of us. But isn't it funny how James, when we look at the scripture, he connects how we're supposed to wait patiently. But then when he continues on in verses 10 through 11, we see that he says, An example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You see, we have to remember every single day of our lives that our purpose needs to be remain steadfast in what God is calling each and every one of us to. Some of us are called to be painters. Some of us are called to be preachers. Some of us are called to be pharmacy techs. Some of us are called to do all kinds of crazy things in this world. But it's about what we're called for and what we're designed for that God is trying to say is the thing that allows you to be patient. Because if your heart is in pursuit of what God is doing in and through you, you can keep your focus on the path that's narrow. You can see the focus of, of why you endure so much. Why Job had to endure the suffering, but yet nonetheless, he was not going to relent with his pursuit for God and all of the righteousness that would come through it. You see, today, we have prophets that we can read about, like Elijah, who got so de depressed and discouraged because what he was looking at was all around saying, I'm the last one. I'm the last prophet. And, and he says, God, just let me go so the world can go to complete chaos. But then God spoke the word. He says, you're not the last. I have a remnant and always with me. Can I tell you, there are going to be days in your life where you get discouraged and you get your focus completely all out of whack. But you're not alone. If you look around, you've got a church right here. Let me tell you, we all have the same emotions. We all get discouraged. We all get defeated. We all become completely disheveled in this life because of what we get thrown at us. But that's why we're called to be a body of believers, ones that can lift each other up. But we have to remember to remain the steadfastness of what God wants to awaken up within us. You see, the people in this world don't want to hear our truth. The truth, the only truth, that this word is the living word of God, and if it is that, then it's going to have full effectiveness, and that if the prophecies are all going to come to truth, get ready, it's going to get wild. They don't want to hear it. But they never have. That's why Isaiah, he remained steadfast in all of his ministries when he was considered the prophet of God, and everybody would listen to the message and say, oh, Isaiah, just shut up. 
and he made them do all kinds of crazy things. But here's what I want you to understand, is that we live this life with the discouragement that comes at hand. But we were all called to be image bearers and, and, and to be the broadcast of his love to the world. And we're going to get discouraged in it. And we're not going to keep the focus on it. But what we have to remember is that like what Philippians 4 and 6 says, that we do not need to be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that Romans 12 and 12 says that we can rejoice in hope and be patient in the tribulation and to be constant in our prayers. You see, what we have to do is to find the connection with him as we become established in our heart's pursuit for Christ. Then we get the true source of our thanksgiving. Then we get the true source of our hope. Then we get the true source of why we keep holding on every single day. Why we don't let the depression take a root. Why we don't let the, the discouragements take hold of us to where we want to get dragged down every which way. Why we don't get wholeheartedly just tossed to, the, to and fro on the ocean of our emotions. Like I said, the pilgrims... If you look at them, they were so set in their desire to see their God glorified in their lives and not be confined by man. So they said it's better that we go to a new place. Each of us are in a new place this morning. We're going to a new place this morning with our minds, where our minds are so steadily focused on Christ that we can find our hope with where we're at. We need to get to the point where we're coming to a place where we can remember the goodness of God. No, it might not always look good. It might not always look pretty. It might not always be what we want. But if he's in it, where is our discouragement? Like I said, the last 12 weeks, including today, been talking about the book of James and how it can apply to our lives and bring re-encouragement in all that we are and to remind us of why we are what we are. Why we're called to remain steadfast and know that our faith without works is dead. Not that our works save us, but our faith does. But our faith, if it's not actually activated in our lives, it doesn't bring forth the works that come from it. It's like, why do we need to get reminded that we need to be silent and be quick to hear? Why is it that we need to get reminded that, that the heart of man needs to be aligned with the heart of God? Why is it that we keep going through the motions and not remembering that if God is trying to speak to us, that we need to start listening? You see, what I'm trying to get at, church, this week is the week that we have to really allow it to become established in our lives where we become established with him in everything that we do and we realize that this right here is the thing that gives us the salvation and the ability to speak so boldly. If it wasn't for him on the cross, we would have nothing. If he wasn't willing to go to the cross and look in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, God, but yours. We have nothing. We have nothing. But I'm thankful that this cross represents everything that I am. 
I'm thankful that the cross represents my hope. I'm thankful that this cross represents my life. I'm thankful that the cross represents who I am going to be. I'm thankful that the cross represents who you're going to be. If you will establish your life for him and not become so discouraged like you become so callous to this life because of all that you've gone through, but that you find your reminder. So that way when you do ask the prayer, God, I'm so discouraged. What do I have to be thankful for? Can I say, Romans 8 and 25 says, but if we have hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We have to learn to put our focus on God. We have to learn to put our focus on all that he has and all that he's allowing us to endure to allow us to see the finish line for what it truly is, not just a milestone marker on a birth date, not just a milestone marker on, 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 on an idea of what you think it should happen, but the milestone marker should always be the day that we get to the eternal uh, uh, to the gates of eternity, and we look at, at Jesus and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is when we have the ultimate joy. That is when we have the ultimate purpose in all that we have. But we still have to be careful not to start grumbling too much. God cares about everything that we say. But he doesn't want you to start becoming the, the, the thing that causes others to stumble. That is why we have to remember what we're thankful for. See, this morning, as I get ready to wind this up, or wind this down, not up. I need more coffee. Is that we have Thanksgiving coming. Thursday's the day. It's the day the government decided to say this is the holiday that it is. It's the fourth Thursday of every November. Get ready. Just put on your idea of what thankfulness is. And just be ready but I don't want you just to go in and think about the turkey. I don't want you to think about the family. This week I feel like the God is trying to say, I want you to go through this week as a season of, of preparation of why you have hope today. Why you have purpose for tomorrow. Why you keep going. Why is it that you think God keeps waking you up every single day saying you can move your feet now? Why it is you go every single day and you can start reading a word and, and understanding what it says in its complexity. And, and Lord knows, if you know English, it's complex. Why is it that you have the, the ability to articulate a sentence with your mouth? Why is it that you have the ability to go to work? Why is it that you're able to do everything that you do? And I want you to think about all those things, but I want you to realize that it's all for His glory. Because he was willing to do the ultimate sacrifice for each and every one of us. If you'll stand with me this morning. We have the choices every single day. What are we thankful for? Are we thankful for ourselves, our family? Are we thankful for the food on the table? 
Are we thankful for the alarm clock? Are we thankful for the coffee at Starbucks? Are we thankful for the little things? Or are you on the big picture where you're like, I'm only thankful if I get the 55-inch black Friday sale for the day after Thanksgiving? See, we have to get to the point where we realize that every single day is a gift. And if it's a gift, then it's something to say, Lord, I'm thankful for this day. I'm thankful for tomorrow. Even though I'm not promised tomorrow, Lord, I'm thankful that I get to come into a place where I'm loved. I get to come into a place where I feel your presence. Lord, I get to come into a place where I get to talk about you, Jesus. See, those are the things that we need to hold on to. So this week, I want to challenge each and every one of you. Where's your heart's thankful or thanksgiving at? Is it within you? And is it connected to him? Let him have it all. Can we pray this morning? Father God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for this message, Lord. I thank you that you've allowed us to come into a place. Lord, I'm thankful for the health that I was able to come in and give this message. But God, I trust you in all that we are. Lord, I trust you for who you are, Lord. God, we give our lives to you, Lord, right now in a moment of thanksgiving, Lord, as we recall and remember, Lord, that we're not promised tomorrow. But, Lord, that it's a treasured, valuable moment that you've given us, Lord, like the breath in our lungs this very moment, Lord, that is meant and designed to exalt your name. Let us hold on, Lord, and let us not get discouraged, Lord, as this life would toss us to and from. But, but, but give us that encouragement, Lord, that when we get to the other side, we'll praise you. But more importantly, but we will praise you on the long life's journey. So God, right now, I just ask you to just be with each and every one of us, Lord. Be with those that are not here this morning that might be watching online. Be with us, Lord, as we're going through this life. And keep us focused on you and all that we are and all that we do. God, touch each and every one of us, Lord, in this place. Guide our steps, Lord, and guide our hearts for you. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And the church said, Amen. Church, go enjoy the turkey. Go enjoy the family fellowship if you have that. But go in a season of thanksgiving as you go through this week. We love you all. Go love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And go love your neighbor also. Go and be the church.